to start off tonight, we're, we're trying to remember that each and every time that we come back, we're in a series called The True Story. And the, the idea is that we want to take uh, all, a bunch of little stories that make up the one big true story and take some time looking at each and every one because we believe those smaller stories, as they piece together, they tell the unfolding narrative of what God's up to in this world, who he is, what he's doing, who we are then, and what we do. Uh, and we firmly believe that you'll never understand the story of Jesus uh, unless you first understand the story of God and that we can't understand the story of God unless we understand Jesus. And so we want to spend time uh, in all of those things. Well, the story so far, you guys made it almost there. Um, our boy named uh, Joshua came after our friend named Moses, uh, who led God's people out of Israel, right? That was, or out of Egypt. That was kind of a big deal. That uh, God's people uh, had been enslaved in Egypt after they had gone there because they followed Joseph, right? Their, their great, 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 great grandfather, who had led them there because there was a famine in the land they were in. And Joseph's older ended up in Egypt because of what did his older brothers do to him. They were nice guys. They sold him off into slavery, right? They made some coin off him, um, which led his father Jacob to be super sad, um, which also would have really made his grandfather Isaac sad, which would have made Abraham sad, which is the guy that we start with when we realize that God made a promise uh, to Abraham that was gonna make everything right and new again because creation had fallen under a curse when Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God how to live in God's world. You see, God had created everything good, right, and beautiful and set human beings in the garden to bear his image and cultivate all the hidden potentials of creation. Everything before humans had been formless and void, right? And the spirit had stirred over the waters and then spoke everything into creation. And so going back to the very beginning, human beings had a very special role to play in God's story. And what we're gonna see from Joshua is that this is, this is the same story, but a new set of characters. A God's still the same uh, being that he always has been, but the characters on the stage have shifted over. Uh, 40 years is a long time long amount of time. How many of you were around, born on earth 40 years ago? This is a pretty good cross-section of this group. The young kids didn't come today. All right. So 1981 was 40 years ago. A lot has changed in this world in the last 40 years, hasn't it? Can you guys think of some things that have shifted in the world in the last 40 years? Uh, some of you could use Google if you had to. Um, you weren't around that whole time. But um, what's shifted in the last 40 years? Cell phones, Cell phones right? Changed everything. The internet, right? Completely different. Imagine that 40 years ago, you had no internet. You had no Wi-Fi. When you left your house, people couldn't get a hold of you. How amazing would that be now? Right? You had house phones and you had to be home. And, and if you were, and they had a cord on it, right? And you had to only go this far and then you had to stretch it even further if you wanted to get away from somebody else in your house for some privacy. I think about the cars that were being driven, the clothes that we're wearing. 40 years is a really long time, and that's how long it had been since God had brought his people out of Egypt. I've written this story in Sinai when they had said, hey, we will do everything that you want us to do. Problem is they did not do everything that God wanted them to do in the desert. They struggled to remember that God was present. They struggled to remember that God would provide. They struggled to remember that God was their protector. And so over 40 years in the wilderness, God had to teach his people that I am a trustworthy God. You can follow me. And then Moses dies. The great hero had led them out of Egypt. And the next up was Joshua. 
And so on this morning, maybe it was like any other morning, Joshua got up to make his coffee, right? And he's thinking through, man, will these people ever respond to me in the same way they responded to Moses? Uh, Will these people who are probably in the millions be faithful to what God's called us to do? Or is our story gonna look like the one that I just watched unfold for the last 40 years? They stand on the edge of something incredible. But the moment they were in, when we're gonna start in Joshua chapter three, probably looked like any other. As you're listening, I need you to listen for two things. A one, how does this story point you to Jesus? You guys in this room, I'm looking around, you've been following Jesus, most of you for a number of years. Uh, You don't need me to tell you some more stuff that's really nifty about this passage, but you do need to meet Jesus in it again. And so how does this story point you to Jesus? And then second, if, if this story is always meant to equip God's people to be faithful on God's mission, how does this story actually equip you to be faithful to what God's called you to do? So listen to the voice of the words, but then listen as the Spirit speaks through them to say, what is it in this story that points my heart to Jesus? And what if I believed and lived out of this, would it equip me to be faithful to the work God's given me to do in his world? Like how would our missional community be more faithful? How would we be faithful? Uh, Because those are the two big things that I want us to walk away with, but we're gonna do it in dialogue. Um, Would you guys read with me? And we've got quite a bit of scripture, so it'll be fun. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. Uh, Catch this, three days would have reminded them uh, of three days so far was the exact amount of time that they spent getting ready for God's presence to come down on Sinai. And so what the author is gonna do here, he's gonna layer up imagery that points you back to the last time that God brought his people to a body of water in order to bring them rescue. So he's, he's layering this all throughout there. So don't be surprised when you're like, why does that sound familiar? It's because he's doing it on purpose because these events, the exodus out of Egypt and then this crossing of the Jordan would forever mark God's people and be things they look back to to say, remember how faithful God is. At any point in the journey when we're struggling, the psalmist would point back to it. Micah would point back to it. Isaiah would point back to it. Those two water crossings would always cement their hearts in faith because that doesn't happen. So he's layering these things up, three days. And when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way you are to go since you have never been this way before. Even though some of the story is familiar, there are brand new elements and they've never gone that way before. Uh, This was a verse as we were preparing to start Missio Mesa that stuck out to me. Yes, you know what it is to follow God. Yes, you know what it is to be a community, but you've never been this actual way before. And so follow, follow my presence because that's the only way you get from point A to point B in the story of God. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. That's about 10 football fields. And so you're like, fun fact, 10 football fields. That's pretty fun. Uh, Catch this. It's also how far you're allowed to walk on a Sabbath day. So this is on purpose. How far are they supposed to be removed from the ark, right? As far as they were able to walk on a day when they rested and had to do minimal. As they followed God's presence, they were reminded every step of the way that God is holy and we rest in him. Even to this day, there's Jewish communities that only walk that same distance. 
uh, because that's the amount that they were allowed to go on the Sabbath. Roughly 10 football fields. God's presence is going before us. And we stay at a distance because he's holy, but we enter into that in his rest. Every step of the way, remembering who God is and what he's done because of how we orient to that Ark of the Covenant. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, set yourselves apart, get ready for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. That idea that preparation was going to proceed experiencing the power of God. In our culture, we wanna believe that God will always come in and catch us as we go, that we can be doing whatever we want, whenever we want, not paying attention. And God is so great that he can just grab us out of that and set us the right way. And that's absolutely true. He does that sometimes. But more often than not in the story of God, the people that get to join up with what he's doing in the right way are those who have set themselves apart for that work. Uh, those who have made conscious decisions to align their life choices and rhythms to be in line with God's so that when he moves, they get to get caught up in that. Is there exceptions to that rule? Absolutely. But more often than not, the call to be holy, to consecrate yourselves, to remember that the way we live our lives and orient in front of God actually says something. And catch that, that's what they did, right? They prepared themselves because tomorrow God was gonna do amazing things. Joshua told the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they went, they took it up and they went ahead of them. And then the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. So Joshua called the Israelites. He said, come here and listen to the words of the Lord, our God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Pesites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. That's why I went to seminary right there in one sentence. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. The Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you and then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord and the Lord of all the earth set forth in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and it will stand up in a heap. Take a deep breath. Did you catch that? He said the imagery is that these priests are going to come and they're going to come to the edge of the water. And normally what you do at the edge of the water, what happened to Moses actually, was, you guys remember how Moses split the Red Sea? What did he do? He swung his what? Staff, right? He didn't even, he didn't have to go in it, right? He got to swing his staff and then it split and then it was pretty amazing. And then they walked through. So catch this, in this story, the, the same ideas there, but the step of faith looks different. I don't think that's a mistake. Every single generation that follows God, yes, the journey is very similar, but the steps of faith are different. They were called to put their feet in the river and then it would split, which if I had to choose roaring, raging river, if I got to stick my staff in it or my foot, I'm choosing staff. But they had already seen that. God was gonna do something new. Remember that. Let's keep reading. So the people broke up camp and went across the Jordan. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan was at its flood stage all during harvest. 
Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a distance, a great, piled up a great distance away. I don't want us to miss this. They were called and had to stand in the river first and then the miracle happened. They had to respond to what God had called them to do in faith, in trust, and then the miracle happened. Don't miss that timing because we often want it the other way around, don't we? God, show me the miracle, show me the provision, show me the protection, show me the care, the concern, the need, your visible, tangible presence, and then I will do whatever you have called me to do because I know you're with me. And what he's saying is you see the ark and the presence of the Lord of all the earth is with that. And when you go and you step in, then I will split that river wide open, even at its flood stage. I think that's something that we need to remember. That when we say we trust God, obedience is the natural result. There's no world where those things get separated. I trust God, but I don't obey him. I believe God, but I don't do what he says. It's as simple as if I told you all to jump up and I'm not gonna do it, but you can if you want just in your brain uh, or you can actually do it. But if I told you to jump up and I never told you to land, what would you do anyway? You land because if you jump, you naturally land. It happens every time. If we trust God in a moment, we will obey him. The beauty of this story is one of those ones for Israel where they do. And so they go and they step in the water. And as soon as they do, it piles back on either side using that same imagery of the Red Sea, right? Where, where the water peeled back and it left dry land. Drop back into verse 17. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. Miracle on miracle, right? While all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely crossed on dry ground. Is going to be Joshua telling them, go choose 12 men. Each of you get a big rock and I want you to set it up. And I want you to make a stack here because when you have this stack, I want you to put it there as a reminder. That way, when your kids and future generations come by and say, why the big pile of rocks, mom? Why the big pile of rocks, dad? Why is this here? Why do we have to go around this thing? What was the story of that again? They were able to say, this is that time that God brought us into the land. We were standing at this very edge of the river. We were, had nowhere to go. There's no way we were moving millions of people across this river with the enemy and looking in on us. Remember, they were going into occupied land. And so the enemy, you better believe, has spies watching as millions of people are coming up to their shores, right? I mean, we have radar, but we track when people come to our shores. You best believe if you're coming up and setting up right across from another city, millions of people at the edge with warriors, 40,000 of them who crossed over first, you best believe other people are leaning in and looking. And so I can imagine this as a dad, you get to set up a killer story, don't you? But it's a story about the faithfulness of God. And they set a sign and a symbol right there on the river to remember this is what our God does because there's gonna be times when you're in the promised land and it's not gonna feel that promised. There's gonna be times when you're, when you're following this God that we all follow and it's gonna be hard and it's gonna to be tough and the road's gonna be rough. And you're gonna to need to remember as something as simple as rocks, that God is a God who redeems. So that's the next chunk. And he lays all that out for them and they do that. 
And so as soon as they cross over, they get to the other side, they make this stack, the water fills back in. We're just gonna skip over because we're getting all the way to verse five, chapter five today. So we'll go to verse 17 again, four verse 17. So Joshua commands the priest, everybody's across, come up out of the Jordan and the priests come up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. Story's gonna matter in a little bit. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He didn't just call them to make memorials, they actually did it which again, a thing for us to remember. God doesn't just call us to things and then jump onto the next things. We actually are supposed to do them when he calls us. He said to the Israelites in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground and drop the mic. For the Lord, your God dried up the Jordan before you until you crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over it. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so you might always fear the Lord your God. Remember I talked about those other nations looking in. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard about how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they crossed over it, Their hearts melted, not in worship, but in fear. And they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Beautiful scene. God powerfully displaying his might, showing that when he calls a people to do something, he will empower them to do it. They crossed over in that section I skipped. They had 40,000 warriors, just like Moses had said to have, who crossed over first in case anybody would attack. And so when you're on high alert with the military presence on one side and you're all crossing over, there's an anxiety that builds even as you cross, isn't there? But it says when they crossed over, they get to the other side and all the other nations who were looking in were like, we ain't messing with them. We're out. Their hearts melted in fear, not because of how fearsome the Israelites, but because of how great their God was. If that's the kind of God that dwells with these people, that's something different that we're not gonna mess with right now. They didn't swing their sword once yet. The next little section is gonna seem a little weird, but it really matters. You always know you're coming into a good section of scripture when it starts off with circumcision and the Passover. But track with me for just a few minutes. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Uh, That's not recircumcise them. For those of you familiar with the medical procedure, you can't do it twice. But he's gonna go on and drop down and say, the reason that they have to do it is because for that whole generation that was in the wilderness, they didn't practice the sign of the covenant. One of the things they did not do in following after Yahweh, following after God, following after this powerful creator who had leading them through the desert was not circumcise any of their kids, which was meant to be the sign that they trusted God, not themselves with life. Uh, Lots of people circumcised at this time. I don't know if you guys know that, but they usually did it when the kids were older as a representation that now they were sexually mature and now they could procreate. And so when God had them circumcise little kids, it was like, wait a second, they can't multiply. I, I know that much. He's like, exactly. I'm the God who is able to multiply you. I'm the God who's gonna bring this promise of the stars and the sand, not you.
But that was supposed to be the sign that they trusted God and were in his covenant. They didn't do it. And so what happens is that they go through and they make the flint knives. They circumcise all the guys, 40 and under, because that's who was in that. So those of you that laughed at all of us old people uh, that are over 40, all the younger people all got circumcised and they wait for them to heal. That's what takes place next. That's nice of them, right? Before they do anything else, because you're not marching with all these people with this massive amount of them, uh, not quite up to the task yet. But then after they do that, after they heal, uh, the reason he's been dating all the dates and all the times is because where they're at in the calendar year is Passover. So catch this. They, they get to go into, they cross this river, right? It's an amazing, miraculous time. They see God's faithfulness. They experience it for themselves. Then they get to the other side and they recommit and say, hey, I know our people have gotten it wrong in the past. And and I know that there has been a bunch of shame around that. There's a bunch of guilt around that. The Israelites wandered around for 40 years. They were not getting that. They were learning that this is their God. But guess what? He says, he rolls back their shame. He rolls back their shame from all that unfaithfulness and gives them a new moment with which to be faithful. And I think some of us might need to hear that message, that yes, you can mess up. Yes, you can fail. Yes, you can be unfaithful to what God's called you into. But God is still a God who does fresh things with those same characters who were unfaithful before when they follow him. Erasing their shame and giving them a new start. And then they celebrate Passover. This beautiful, beautiful feast that represents and probably with brand new meaning for these people because they didn't get to live through the Red Sea. They'd heard the tales, they'd heard the stories, but now they experience God's rescue at the shore. Bringing them into a new land, watching the armies flee, seeing that God is a God who goes before us and invites us to follow him. All these layers in this story that are beautiful. And then they celebrate this meal before they ever conquer or fight a battle in the new land. To remember that God, again, is a God who goes before, who rescues and redeems and works on our behalf. There's so much beauty in that. Chapter five ends with this really weird story about Joshua, but I'm gonna close off with this and then I'm gonna push you back out to answer those two questions that I gave us. They go, they have the feast. Uh, Verse nine, I'm gonna read from there just because it's so good. The Lord said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while the camp to Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after Passover, so after God has provided for them, uh, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. And the manna stopped that day. Remember, manna is what God had been providing for them miraculously all through the desert. So that was the last day they got manna. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. God again said, I'm doing something new and I've already provided for you. It's in this land. You don't need the same miracles you had before, but I'm gonna provide for you, but it's gonna come out of this land. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I've come now. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? 
The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Full circle back to Moses at the burning bush. What I don't want us to miss about this mighty warrior that's standing there, there's a whole lot that we could say, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to dial it in. Joshua comes up to this guy and says, hey, are you for us? Or are you for our enemies? And the guy looks at him right and goes, neither. I'm on God's side. Like, are you, are you with me? Or like, that, that, you're asking the wrong question here. The question isn't, am I fighting for you or am I fighting for them? The question is, are you siding with me? And that, that could preach a whole sermon in our cultural moment all by itself. But the beauty of this is, is that God, again, wraps up this beginning text of him selecting Joshua and calling him to be the leader of these people now, with them now poised to enter the promised land with an experience with his holiness, a personal experience with God again. In the midst of all the grandeur and all the glory and the millions of people crossing a mighty river on dry ground, God still meets personally and brings a message to our boy Joshua to give him the courage that he's going to need to lead the people forward and live a life in view of God and the work he's given him to do. God doesn't just do the grand things for the masses. He also comes and engages with people along the way. I know that's a lot of text. Sometimes we need a big sweep of scripture to fully soak in what God's doing in a set. Part of me wanted to just preach that little part of go stand in the river and talk about how faith and obedience would just be more than enough. And we could do that sometime if we wanted to. But I wanted to give us that full sweep because I want us to be able to look at this chunk and say, all right, God, where does this point us to Jesus? Every text is messianic. It points us to Jesus. Spoiler alert, a few, a thousand, 1400 years, maybe roughly later, a Jewish carpenter is going to come down to this very same river and get dunked in it. Instead of the this water splitting, the sky is going to split. And the father's voice will come down and say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Please remember that time that you had to come through this river to get to the other side. Jesus goes into the river to allow us to get into his rest. When we get to Mark, that's a whole nother sermon and that is beautiful. But how would this text equip us to be faithful to the work God's given us to do? Uh, Before we go to the table, I want us to go back to those groups that we were just in. How does this big story, was there something in the story that we just read that the spirit maybe pricked your conscience or sparked your imagination or even gave you an insight that you didn't have before as you listened to it being read with some commentary around it? We don't have to rush through this moment. You're not getting like on a clock for 30 seconds to speak fast. But if the spirit was saying something to you, would you affirm that to a few people around you and say, hey, while we were talking, while I was listening, God's spirit seemed to be pressing this in. Uh, turn to those same groups that you're with. You guys are best friends by now, I know. Um, yeah, and just share some of those thoughts that came to mind. And then I'll click the lights up so you guys can see each other. And we'll share some of those across the room, pray over each other, and then come to the table together. Uh, and then we'll be sent out with a song. So uh, would you guys just turn back towards each other real quick? Was there something along the way that the Spirit said that either made you worship Jesus a little bit more or said, man, like, if I got that, here's where I'd be on mission. That makes sense. So turn toward each other. I'll pulse back in just a few minutes. We're going to come together around the table now. 
And the beauty of the table is that God has given us uh, two sacraments as the church that point us back to his mighty rescue. And while we did not walk through on dry ground a river, we absolutely, like Richie said, were made new by the power of Jesus and brought out of an old life and made new again. That is 100% true. That is the story that we live, that we embody, that we come back to remember. And so I wanna read this um, about both baptism, but then more so with the table tonight. And then when I'm done, I invite you, uh, maybe Brittany can go first so that she can come up and lead us in song afterwards. But to go to the table, and as you go and take those elements, I want you to take them as you go to the table and then walk away for this reason. We do this a multitude of different ways, but each time it's with purpose. To remember that the moment you cry out, God is there. The moment that you need his provision, he is there. The moment that you need his rescue, he is already there. So in the same way, you're gonna go to the table to take that in remembrance of him, remembering that he is already there. He has gone before you. And so I don't want you to have to wait till you come back to your seat and spend some time. Uh, We'll do that other times, but just go to the table. And as you're there, take those elements, reflecting back on what I'm about to read. So God meets us in the sacraments communicating grace to us by means of water, bread, wine, and juice. In baptism, whether of the newly born or newly converted, God reminds us and assures us of our union with Christ in covenant love, the washing away of our sin, the gift of the Holy Spirit, expecting our love and our trust in return. In the Lord's Supper, Christ offers his own crucified body and shed blood to his people assuring us a share in his death and resurrection. By the Holy Spirit, he feeds us with his resurrection life and binds us to each other as we share one loaf and one cup. We receive this food gladly, believing as we eat that Jesus is our life-giving food and drink and that he will come again to call us to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Go to the table in remembrance of him and awareness of his presence.